gotta tell somebody. This is the best thing I've ever seen. That. Let's talk about that. Let's you talk need about this. that. Listen to this. Memorable and exciting. Well, then be less boring. I'm gonna tell everyone. Wait here. Quite a remarkable big daddy. Remarkable. Welcome to Remarkable, a podcast for B2B marketers that deconstructs the most iconic moments in film, television, pop culture, and advertising for a single purpose, to give you, the B2B marketer, the same storytelling techniques that the pros use. In each episode, you will learn techniques from Hollywood, Pixar, Marvel, and beyond, from Spielberg's hands to yours, bringing remarkable content ideas to you every single week. I'm Ian Faison, CEO of Caspian Studios. This is Remarkable. This week, we're talking about B2B marketing lessons from The Devil Wears Prada with help of our special guest, Director of Corporate Communications, Brand, and Strategic Content at Egeo. Miranda Priestley is the editor-in-chief of Runway. So you don't read Runway? No. Not to mention a legend. And before today, you'd never heard of me? No. You work a year for her, and you can get a job at any magazine you want. You have no style or sense of fashion. I, I... No, no. That wasn't a question. Sally, how are you? I am great. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I'm really excited about this. Yeah, we are too. We're going to chat Divorce Prada, obviously. We're going to chat IGO content strategy, your background, and much more. So, first off, why did you pick the Devil Wars Prada? Well, it's one of those movies, I would say it's in my top five. It's one that every time scrolling through the guide, if it's there, I'm going to stop and I'm going to watch it. It's funny. I think it's highly relatable to anyone who's ever worked in any type of industry. I think we all have had that terrible boss at one point in our lives who is just insane. All right, everyone, gird your loins. You know, I think we've all also had that one job where we say, all right, this kind of sucks, but I'm going to stick it out a year. I'm going to do this because it's what I need to do. And I also think it kind of stands the test of time. You know, there are some movies that were funny back in the 90s, early 2000s. And I can't remember when this came out. I think it was mid 2000s that you look at now and you're like, oh, they could never make that now. But I think Devil Wears Prod is definitely relatable. It's current. It's hysterical. And I also tend to quote that movie quite a bit too. Tell us a little bit about your role at Edgio. At NGO, I oversee corporate communications brand content. So for us, that means my goal is just to boost awareness for the company. So I do that through public relations, analyst relations, social media, and then the content that I do is more of the blog content. So I oversee our blog, but not the rest of our website. So... Basically, it's anything that's going to boost awareness in the market. I like that. Boost awareness. That's a great way of thinking about things. And we're going to get all into your content strategy later on in the episode. But first, Meredith, what the heck is the Devil Wears Prada? So Devil Wears Prada is about this girl named Andy Sachs, and she's just out of college with a journalism degree. And she lands a job at the super prestigious fashion magazine in New York City. That is Meredith O'Neill our amazing producer extraordinaire. And she'll be working as an assistant to the editor. And it's really just about her, like, learning what it takes to be successful in this very, like, cutthroat industry, if she has to make sacrifices. And as she becomes more and more successful at her job, she finds that 
things in her personal life are starting to suffer, like her relationship. And so she's sort of like learning where her values are. It's kind of a coming of age story. And she has this really sort of satisfying transformation, I find, in just like how she dresses and how she presents herself. Are you wearing the, the Chanel boots? Yeah, I am. And so Andy is played by Anne Hathaway. Her full name is Andrea Sachs. And then Meryl Streep is the editor, Miranda Priestley. And she's very like icy and cold and demanding and just this really, really hard boss. Is it impossible to find a lovely, slender female paratrooper? No. Am I reaching for the stars here? No. Not really. But it's also interesting how she's this woman of power who is doing what she needs to do to run a successful fashion magazine. Do you want me to say poor you? Miranda's picking on you. Poor you, poor Andy. Hmm? Wake up. She's just doing her job. And so there are sort of two sides to her, I would say. Um, Stanley Tucci is also in it. He's the art director, Nigel Kipling, and Emily Blunt is the other assistant to Miranda Priestley, sort of showing Andy the ways of the office. Right, remember you and I have totally different jobs. I mean, you get coffee. <laughs> um, but the movie came out in 2006, and it's based on the book by Lauren Weisberger. It was directed by David Frankel and produced by Wendy Feinerman. And it's based off the screenplay by Aileen Brosh McKenna. And so the book by Lauren Weisberger is actually a loosely, we have to say loosely based on her experience as an assistant to Vogue editor Anna Wintour, who's notoriously like demanding and aloof and hugely successful and obviously runs this amazing company. Well, I seem to remember that actually the movie was, was fiction. Mm -hmm. And we really like fiction at Vogue. Right. And I have to say loosely because I think Miranda Priestley's character is kind of controversial in a way and could be seen as shining a negative light on the fashion industry. However, Anna Wintour actually has a, a good relationship with the author and actually with Meryl Streep as well. And they've like collaborated on videos and things like that. But one thing that I thought was funny was that the office from The Devil Wears Prada is actually designed so closely to Anna Wintour's at the time that she decided to redecorate and rearrange hers after the movie came out. So oh, really? I was, yeah. Something else that I recently learned is that Stanley Tucci is married to Emily Blunt's sister. No way. Any. Yes. He met right. her while they were filming Devil Wears Prada. That's right. And I, I think, too, this is the same era that Emily Blunt met John Krasinski. Imagine their family dinners. They must be awesome. It's so awesome. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> too funny. Sally, why do you think that this is remarkable. Because it does show you that, you know, there's different paths you can take and you can be successful. Sometimes you do have to make those sacrifices with your time and your energy and to, you know, get that job that you want or to reach those goals that you want. I mean, what if I don't want to live the way you live? And don't be ridiculous, Andrea. Everybody wants this. But at the end of the day, it's finding that balance. And I think that's one of the great messages of the movie that I think relates to, you know, especially to today where everybody's working so much more with, you know, work at home and hybrid work. I feel like we're working 24 hours a day. And how do you find the balance? How do you become successful or have what success means to you in your job, but also stay true to who you are? And again, it's a hysterically funny movie, and I always enjoy it no matter how many times I watch it, which is a lot. 
Yeah, I mean, Meryl Streep, goes without saying, is absolutely just chewing every line of the entire thing. I asked her keen, athletic, smiley, she said, dirty, tired, and paunchy. I mean, there's no such thing as the peak of her powers, because it probably is like, you know, four decades going at this point. But hard to imagine a better Meryl Streep performance than this. She's just so good. Uh, When she says about her appearance, she says, it wasn't a question. And she asks her, (laughs) but basically she like insults her appearance. And then you have no style or sense of fashion. Well, um, I think that depends on what you're. No, no. That wasn't a question. It's great. One of my favorite lines, which I use all the time is when, I think it's when she's, Andy's bringing her, like, the book or something, or her schedule, and she says, by all means, move at a glacial pace. You know how that thrills me. Every time I'm in, like, in line at Starbucks and someone's moving slow, that's the line that goes through my head. By all means, move at a glacial pace. You know how that thrills me. So, one of the reasons I think that this is a fascinating movie is because I like any sort of, like, work-adjacent or business-adjacent type stuff, because I think it's more you know, relatable, that type of content type stories we like tell with Caspian. So I always dig that stuff. But I think the crux of the bad demanding boss is like, to me, like one of the most fascinating leadership things, which is I have had those bosses. I have had the boss that, you know, on my anniversary made me stay until 10 o'clock at night sort of thing. I've been there in the most demanding sort of situations. And I remember sitting at the time being like, this is the worst thing ever. And then years later going, no, that really was the worst thing ever. But <laughs> I but did I learn learned. certain things and a level of quality of work and a level of dedication. So question for you, Sally, is from a leadership standpoint, from like a studyness standpoint, like how bad of a boss is she? Oh, that's a good question. I mean, I think she's bad in the way that she cuts her down and she's just mean. Please bore someone else with your questions. But I think you're right. There are lessons and there's lessons that she learns when she rises to the occasion and when she ends up going to Fashion Week instead of the Emily Blunt character. And she kills it. So I think you're right. Like, yes, she's demanding and she's insane and she's mean. But you can learn from that. And I've I've had those bosses too. I've had the bosses that have been miserable that you don't learn anything from either. You know, when I first got out of school, I worked as a journalist, but then I quickly hopped over the fence and started working in PR and I worked at PR agency. And back then, and I won't say where it is, when it was, because that'll age me, working in tech PR at that time was, it was cutthroat. It was working late at night. It wasn't, you know, working at home. So you were staying in the office. And the first few years were brutal. And I've maintained friendships with a lot of the people that I worked with at that first agency. And a lot of us work together kind of tangentially now. And we all look back at that time and think that really created the work ethic that we have you know, the way in which we edit things and write things, we learned from that agency. And the bosses, and and this is nothing about the bosses there, they weren't brutal, but it was was tough. It was more of a, this is what we're going to do. And, you know, we were held to a standard, I think it is, held to a very high standard. And you, you had to 
maintain that. You know, I think that bad bosses are just bad bosses, right? And like, of course you learn from hard things. But I think that the problem that, you know, situations like this movie present is that there isn't really a character arc for Miranda in a way that would be like, she's not really negatively affected by all of this, right? It is not her story, right? And so there's no version of her that stops acting like an asshole, you know, and then sees better results. Right. She does come to appreciate Andy. You know, there's that final scene where she sees her on the street and she gives her the nod. And she also gives her the highest recommendation for the job that she was applying for. Yeah, I kind of wonder if she is mindfully, although it seems just so severe in the moment, if she's like working to set Andy up for a career to just become stronger, accept criticism no matter what it is, and like just become stronger in her role in her in whatever she does next. But I was thinking in the fashion industry, you know, if she continues on. So part of me wonders if that is her motivation, but it's kind of hard to tell, you know? Yeah. And there were those brief moments in the movie where you actually see a little vulnerability from Miranda, you know, when her husband leaves her and then she just snaps right back into character. And I think that that's why she's compelling is like, you know, people don't necessarily change just because, you know, a 20 something comes through their life and they ride them super hard, and then they come out the other side, and they're better off. There you are, Emily. How many times do I have to scream your name? I think my thing with it, which is, I think, why it's such a captivating character, is that I think that by giving that recommendation, by giving the nod, by understanding, I think she thinks that she did a good job of, like, getting her ready for the world. And, like, that is the way that the crappy boss views the world. It's like, yeah, I brought him through the ringer, and it was hard, they, it was tough love, but they needed it. And it's like, yeah, right. but it's like the Ted Lasso way already also works too, right? Like you don't yeah. need to be a jerk about stuff. Like you don't need to be that. I think it's like why it's such a cool, good story is like she is pretty uncompromising, even though it sort of shows her humanity. And I think it's it's like fascinating to me, that sort of idea that like, do you need to be a jerk to be able to be demanding and it's like the answer is like definitely no no but then you think about like the ted lasso managers and are they too easy and will people feel like oh i don't have to do this or i can get away with doing x because they're so nice they're not i'm not going to get in trouble yeah exactly exactly and then then like what does that produce i think the idea of putting your team through a crucible or they go through something together and come out the other side is really important. But the way that you coach them through that, obviously, like <laughs> consulting yeah. their parents and doing things like that, right? You're right. You have to do it with empathy. You have to be an empathetic leader. You can push your team, but push with empathy. One of the things that jumped out to me about the stuff about her appearance is like, A, every 22-year-old dress is silly. You come out of college, you have no money, like you have no nice clothes. You know what I mean? Like, it's so funny. They're like, you have no style. It's like, yeah, because a year ago, you're wearing clothes with holes in it and the same t-shirt that you have been wearing since high school. Miranda hired me. She knows what I look like. Do you? So first off, 
how many people are like buying Prada when they're 21 years old. Can you please spell Gabbana? Hello? So I think that's funny. But the second thing is, I don't know if you've ever been sort of like insulted about like the clothes that you wear in a work setting, but in watching this, like I remember exactly the time where that like happened to me. And it's funny that this movie touches at like work style and sense of fashion. And clearly it does it in the most heightened way because they work a runway. It just like tickles me because it's just like puts you in that place of yeah. like your first day on the job. What do you wear? What does everybody else wear? Because you have no idea. Like, it's just, that's funny. I remember the first time companies started doing casual Fridays. Mm -hmm. And I was like, all right, what does that mean? So I I wore like a t-shirt and I was in my 20s. I wore a t-shirt and a mini skirt and sneakers. And that was my, because that to me was casual. And yeah. I'm walking down the hallway and the CEO is passing me. And he's like, well, we really took casual Fridays seriously, didn't we, Sally? I'm like, oh, crap. Okay, note to self. Not wearing t shirt and a mini skirting. <laughs> oh my gosh. But it's funny, like when people do that, when they make comments like that, it sticks with you and you never forget it. So, Apple was one of my customers back in the day. And it was a like absolutely massive account and it's Apple. And so, Apple's very specific. And so, I would go to the meetings in a suit and tie. And afterwards, one of the guys pulled me aside. He's like, we don't wear suit and ties at Apple, so you can wear something else next time. <laughs> so I was just like, dang, I'm out here trying to be <laughs> fancy. Like, what if that makes me feel comfortable? It's like the only, like, we're super accepting of how people wear their clothes, as long as you wear it exactly like we do. As long as it's not a suit and tie. Yeah. Meredith, nobody ever insults your appearance. You, you got all the high fashion <laughs> going. No, when I was teaching, actually, I was in my apprenticeship I was learning to teach French and my mentor was actually my previous French teacher from high school. And so we had known each other for a long time and he like took me aside and was like, you cannot wear what you're wearing right now. It was after school. So he'd spent all day, I'm sure like thinking about what he was going to say to me. And uh, I think afterwards he was like, I mean, he hated that conversation too. He admitted to me, he was like, it was one of the hardest things, but like, you need to know like what's professional and like, Oh, it was rough. I was so sad. <laughs> but and in, immediately, like, my reaction was to be mad. And then later, I was like, actually, that was a really important lesson I just learned. And it can be hard to, as, like, a young person, like, how to present yourself, you know? It doesn't come naturally, usually, I would say. And, you know, it takes thought and takes planning. And, yeah, so I have been talked to about what I was wearing. And it's rough. Yeah, B2B marketing takeaways from Devor's Prada. I think there are a lot of good takeaways from the movie that we can apply to marketing, content marketing. I think there's one about, you know, understanding your industry. One of the early scenes where Andy is, you know, just getting to know the business and Miranda's having some meeting with creative and Andy's there to take notes and she makes some offhanded comment and says something like, oh, I'm just, I don't know this stuff. And Miranda totally takes her to town on that one and helps her to realize that 
that stuff that she's talking about applies to her. That blue represents millions of dollars and countless jobs. And it's sort of comical how you think that you've made a choice that exempts you from the fashion industry when in fact you're wearing a sweater that was selected for you by the people in this room from a pile of stuff. So it's really helping her understand that she is in fact the audience. So I think there's messages there about understanding who you're talking to, um, and then personalization as well. You know, the scene where they're at the Met Gala, and I think it was Andy who had to memorize every single person who was attending and feed that information into Miranda's ear so that Miranda seemed like she knew that person, their wife, key things about them so that they felt special. And I think that's something that we can apply in marketing. Like, how do you personalize your message for your different customer segments or your different stakeholders. And then, of course, my favorite line about not moving at a glacial pace, you know, being agile and nimble. Oh, and another one that I thought of recently was originality of content, too. You know, there's a scene where they're talking about a layout for the spring, some spring edition. And somebody recommends florals. They're showing a lot of florals right now, so I was thinking I can florals do for spring. Groundbreaking. You know, so how do we how do you break away from things that may seem easy? Like, oh, everybody's doing video now, so let's do video. Well, video might not work for your audience. Or, or yeah, video, but how do you make it better? So I think those are those are some good lessons to learn from Miranda. I love the glacial pace line. I say glacial pace as well, so I don't know if it's from this movie or not, but I say that as well. And I think that young people, their speed is so much slower and because you don't have the context of everything around it. Things like taking notes during meetings, things like you know following up in a timely manner with emails, like those sort of things are so important. Andrea, Andrea, you are chained to that desk. Well... What if I need to... What? No. So from a marketing perspective, I think that that's like, you know, just general marketing, just working. And then I think just pacing in general is really important. And how quickly you're doing sprints or however you do, you know, project delivery, whether or not something is like good enough to go out versus how long you spend time on it. Like to me, those are like the hardest parts of marketing is like how much right. time do you spend on the thing and also being able to adapt and change. You know, I think you create a plan, you've got your timeline, you're executing on your plan, but if it's not working, you have to adapt, you have to go back, you have to be able to think on your feet, you have to adjust. And I think that's hard for people too. Like, this is our plan, this is what we do, and we're going to do it. And sometimes there's market dynamics or things happening in the industry where you have to pivot. And you have to be able to do it quickly. Can you tell us a little bit about your content strategy at Edgeo? Of course. So our goal really around content, and I'll just preface it by saying content at Edgeo, it spans both demand gen and communications. So on my team in communications, I do have a content brand manager, and she's responsible for all the content we put on social, the blogs, and things like that. And then on the demand gen team, there is a content campaign manager who she works on content that's really specific to demand gen campaigns. So white papers, 
paid placements, things like that. So we work very closely together, the demand gen and the communications team, to make sure that there's consistency of message across all of those pieces of content. And then also another thing that we're doing is it's a very new marketing team. Edgeo was formed from the combination of Limelight Networks, which had been around for a long time, which was a CDN. Limelight bought Layer Zero, which was a startup on web development tools and edge solutions tools. And then those two companies merged. And then then still as Limelight, bought Edgecast, which was a division of Yahoo, which brought some security tools, more edge tools, and an additional CDN network. So there's this, the marketing department was made up of people that came from all three, as well as people like myself, who are fairly new, that started as Edgeo. So the CMO's been here 10 months. I've been here nine months. Head of demand gen has been here six months. Head of product marketing, maybe six months. So we're really looking at marketing and our content marketing differently than had been done before. So because of the commodity style business that Limelight was, there wasn't really a lot of content marketing done. And everything was done. And I'm going to use a phrase that a former colleague of mine used to say it was popcorn marketing. It's like, bing, do this, bing, do that. It's like just nothing was cohesive. Nothing had an organized plan about it. So we've really changed that in the last six months. And from a content marketing standpoint, we're really trying to make sure that the content we develop is from an outside-in approach, not an inside-out. So you know, a lot of companies just focus on, oh, this is what we offer. This is our features. This is our products. But we're trying to approach it, and this may not sound very novel, but from what are the solutions we're trying to solve for the customers? And our sales team is going through a very similar transition from just selling solutions or selling the product to value-based solution selling and transparent selling. So being honest about what we can do for them and what we can't do for them, because that creates that you know, trusted advisor type of role. So our marketing is mimicking that. So not just creating content that shows the value that we bring to the customer, but then also creating content that's valuable to the potential customer. So we've put a huge emphasis in the last six months on analyst relations. So in B2B tech marketing, analyst firms, industry analyst firms like the Gardners and the IDCs, Frost and Sullivan, those Enterprise companies look to them to help understand the market landscape. Who are the players in the market? So we've been doubling down on analyst relations, getting included in the right reports, and then licensing those reports, and then passing those over to demand gen so that they can use them for lead generation. It's a great tool for the customer to better understand where not only we fit in the market, but what are the dynamics that are in the market and, you know, helps them understand what it is that they're looking for. So it sounds like you're like almost like rebuilding the brand. Oh, 100%, which is incredibly challenging that, you know, especially like in social media. So social media falls in my group. And it was June of 2022 that the company rebranded as Edgeo. So we had to start over in our social networks. 
So we lost all the followers that Edgecast had, and they had a pretty good following. And Limelight, they had a pretty good following. And so now we're starting from scratch as Edgeo. We've done a lot to build that audience, and we've seen some tremendous growth in the last few months. We've employed employee advocacy, which, you know, through the tool that we use for our social media, they have an advocacy tool, which makes it easy. You probably know about these. It makes it easy for employees to reshare. You know, you give them three to five, you know, pre-written things that they can use. And with a one click, they can just post it to their networks. And so we're really encouraging all the employees to do that. And since we have, we've seen like a thousand percent growth in our engagement just since we started in February. That's amazing. That's so cool to see those numbers. And then how do you, as you're coming out with new content or, you know, you may be putting out content that's different from what's been done in the past. Like, how do you sort of prove the ROI of that content? Well, it's hard. (laughs) And someone who is a traditional communications PR person, I've always been, oh, you can't. It's intangible. You can't show the ROI of PR, but you have to and you can. And I think there's many different ways in which we are tracking our ROI. You know, we look at visitors to our website, click-throughs to the blogs, engagement on social, followers on social. And then ultimately, we track marketing-generated leads. So we tie everything into our CRM system with the right codes so that when a lead comes in, we can be able to say, oh, they went to the blog or they clicked on this LinkedIn post. But ultimately, you know, the intangible ways of tracking ROI are also important. You know, I think about, you know, when I talked about analyst relations before, when you get to the point where analysts come to you and say, hey, we've got a report coming out on edge platforms and we want you to be in it, then that to me shows that what we're doing is working. When the company was rebranded, you know, we brought together so many different things, different companies. And with certain employees coming from Limelight or some coming from Edgecast, their tendency was to speak to, oh, we used to be Edgecast. Oh, we used to be Limelight. What we really wanted people is to really embrace the Edgeo story because it's very different. Limelight was a CDN. Edgecast was something else. Layer Zero was something else. None of them were the sum of the three companies. That has been difficult. It does present a challenge. And I think like one of the things that I also oversee is the events. So when we're at a trade show, that's when we'll say in person, oh, you haven't heard of Edgeo, but have you heard of Limelight? Have you heard of Cast? This is the two companies coming together. And this is where the intersect and the value is. You know, when I first started, it was a little difficult for me because there's two parts of the business. There's one we call applications, which is for website acceleration, web application security, and performance. And then there's the media side, which has technologies and platforms for OTT streaming. So we're one of the many that stream the Super Bowl or the Olympics or things like that. So it's a very sophisticated technology for a completely different industry. But then when we look at the value that's provided, there's, you know, helping with the orchestration and improving the workflows and monetization, monetization of your website. If you can improve your security and make it load faster, then you're going to get more conversion in your customers. Um, We also provide monetization and orchestration on video streaming or live or on-demand video streaming. 
So the value proposition is the same, but it's a completely different audience. Can you share a couple pieces of content or campaigns that you've worked on at Edgeo under the new name that you are excited about, really love? Yeah. One of the campaigns that we worked on was back in the spring. As I mentioned, we have an application security solution, and it's really a holistic security platform. And we're rolling out a certain feature, advanced bot management. So normally you might think, oh, that's just, you know, feature improvement. It's not going to be a big, you know, launch. But we approached it as a fully integrated campaign. And of course, we did a press release on it. We used it to kick off a podcast series that we're doing now. And we did a podcast with three of our employees just talking about the importance of bot management. And we also had blogs around it. We did social media around it. So it was a fully integrated campaign that culminated with the RSA conference in April, where we rolled it out. So it sounds like it's just, oh yeah, that's what everybody should be doing. But it was the first time that it was really done. We had led up to that with another campaign. It was called our security and performance campaign because we have a product called performance and one called security. But a lot of people think that if you, and it's true with other products, if you add security, different security layers, that it it slows down your website. But with ours, it actually enhances your performance. We didn't do any PR around that, but we did some contributed articles, a series in CIO magazine. We did some blog posts. And then we also, we found one customer that was using both that could speak to that value. And then we did a case study around that. Sally, would you mind sharing some advice for anybody in content and communications? Sure. I would say the best advice that I could give is make sure that you are really working in tandem with the other marketing leads and working as a team. A lot of times in communications, we tend to just focus on the message and you know media relations and our own little bubble. But we can provide great value to every other area of marketing, you know. So working closely with demand gen, you know, they're responsible for getting the leads, but they can't get the leads if we don't have a continual presence in market. So customers need to keep seeing your brand out there. So working in tandem with your counterparts, understanding what they're doing so that you can support them by making sure that you're giving them air cover in other areas. Sally, this has been so awesome having you on the show. Thank you so much. It's been really fun talking about Devil Wears Prada with you. Such a good movie and so fun to it's talk an about. Awesome movie. For listeners, feel free to connect with Sally on LinkedIn. Go to Edgeo's website, check out their work. It's edg.io, and we'll catch you next time on Remarkable. Thank you for listening, and thank you, Sally. Thanks. That's great. I could talk about this movie all day. That's all. Well, that's it for today. I hope you got some good ideas for your B2B content. Thank you for listening to Remarkable. I'm Ian Faison, CEO of Caspian Studios. Remarkable is created by the team at Caspian Studios, B2B podcast as a service. Caspian also creates fiction series for B2B companies. So if you want a business thriller, you can learn more at caspianstudios.com. Hollywood style storytelling for B2B. And in today's episode, you heard from myself, Ian Faison, and Meredith O'Neill, senior producer here at Caspian Studios. Remarkable was produced this week by Meredith O'Neill, mixed by Scott Goodrich, 
And our theme song is Solomon by Falak. Be remarkable and rise above the noise. <laughs>